Yeah. The only time I really have to write for my job is like once a month or so. I like write the newsletter for my team. I, I also write my team's my team's monthly newsletter, um, which is a, a, a funny fate for us. Um, yeah. All right. <laughs> uh, welcome to Good Writing Podcast. I'm Ben. Welcome to Good Writing Podcast. I'm Emily. Hey, Emily, how's it going? How are you? You feel Man, good? I've been, I've been really good. I've been really good. Ask me how writing's been. I'm yeah. ready. How's writing? How is it's it? It's been really good! <laughs> yeah! <Hell> yes. Finally! <laughs> nice. Oh, man, finally. Yeah, I uh, sent off... I, I just this morning finished a uh, first draft of a short story, and I immediately sent it off to that friend I mentioned who yeah. um, I'm doing a, a one-on-one workshop with. Um yeah. Yeah, and uh, I absolutely confess, I finished the first draft and said, send it immediately. I don't have time to prove it. <laughs> so I am my own workshop worst nightmare, but I warned him and he knew what he was getting himself into. <laughs> I would never expect anyone who turned anything in for workshop not proved. I could give a shit. I never proved anything in the MFA, man. Like, yeah. And I know. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> man, I saw those typos. <laughs> yeah, 100%. That's more for the audience's benefit, just to give them a taste of who I am as a person. So, uh, someone Look, they hate, I, potentially. But, yeah. I. Okay, so here's... I, I think I realized something about myself recently, which is, mm-hmm. while reading good writing does, like, make me think better about creative writing, mm-hmm. the thing that actually gets me in the mindset to actually sit down and do my own creative writing is other people's earlier first drafts, like imperfect Mm -hmm. drafts Mm -hmm. is what gets like, even if it's something that I'm like writing pretty unlike my own, like stuff that I would not write myself. It just gets me in the like problem solving creative writing brain, which I think, so I think that that's more so than the deadlines. I think that's why workshops were good for me as a creative Mm -hmm. writer, because Mm -hmm. they all like seeing other people's earlier drafts made me more creative about my own. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, like it's just nice to see something in process. Like yeah. to want to watch something take shape because it also like as someone else who is a writer, it lets you look at it in a way of kind of like for similar to how like a mechanic might look at, at the open hood of a car, like yeah. see, seeing aspects of it as they move and, and like are in progress. Absolutely, like yeah, yeah, and you can see like. Like, with your mechanic metaphor here, like, I can see how it looks right when it looks right, but, like, you really learn by looking at it when it's not all running perfect smoothly yet. Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. what I think, at least. Anyway, so that's me. I finally did it. I finally got another short story uh, drafted. Beautiful. Bada-bing, bada-boom. What about you, Ben? How's writing? It's happening. It's actually Aye. happening. I, I, uh, I, I've, um, I went back I, during the last week. I was able to sit down with um, that story that I wrote that you read, the one about the woman that turns into the bird. And, yeah. and I, um, I've put, I think, what I'm going to tentatively call finishing touches on it, by which I mean I'll change it about four more times before sending it off. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start doing the readings that I'm going to call the last time I read it for like the next five times I read it. And, Seems easy to do that too. Yeah. yeah. And to just get it together, make make sure it's actually clean in terms of tenses, and do any last little bits of character growth. Because, like, like I said, like there was that one paragraph it was missing that I, I think would ground the reader and make them care about the character, or at least understand the character, and then I found the paragraph. So, uh, I, yeah, yeah, it's my boy! Yeah, <laughs> I, I was... I'm happy about it. I, I'm, I'm actually excited. I, I have it penciled in to do more writing tomorrow, actually. So yeah. I, I should have time for it. 
So it, it's going finally, well. Our ulterior motive with this podcast is finally yeah. paying off for us. It's making it's, us right. Exactly. Like, because if I don't have, it's going to make me submit. Like, that's the thing Dude. it's really going to do. Like, yeah. That's big. Yeah, thing, big, big. Yeah, the thing that I don't do, so. We should definitely do an episode on submitting yeah. and like keeping up morale when yeah. you're dealing with submitting yeah. to lit max when you're doing the closest thing that i can imagine to wor- what world war one was like um you're, you're <laughs> submitting um... Get out of here. <laughs> Get out of here. it is it is um, awful though I will. Yeah. <laughs> it is it just... gave me trench foot um yeah. <laughs> okay sh- come on <laughs> All right, all right. <laughs> Mr. Mustard Gas Lung over yeah. here is going to submit his bird lady story soon. Yeah. Um, I would love to read that. We should get mm-hmm. our MFA friends group workshopping yeah. again. Yeah, we should. Uh, I-, I see you in the chat Try, trying your damnedest to drum up the troops. And I, I do be posting in that chat like once a week like, guys... <laughs> You're keeping it alive, man. And in some of our MFA sectors, morale is a little low. Like, it'd be kind of work. Yeah, it's all work. Um, There's, what, five of us in that group chat? Yeah. All of us work non-academic jobs. Yeah. Yeah, I'm very happy to not be in a copywriting marketing job. Yeah. It takes a lot out of you, especially writing stuff that, like, isn't the kind of thing that you want to be writing, but it still uses your writing juices. Like, that, that's, that must be really frustrating, yeah. Yeah, when I... I've never done that kind of a job, but when I had a writing-heavy job, I was a journalist right out of college, and I had no creative writing brain. I simply didn't. At the end of the day, I was not able to do multiple kinds of personal writing in addition to professional writing. Yeah. Yo, can I ask you a quick question about your journalism job? Yeah? Which yeah. one? What were... One of my 17 internships or it's... the full-time job I finally it... got? <laughs> this question will span all of them. Uh, okay, what I'm was ready. the favorite thing you ever wrote as a journalist? Well, what was your piece that you were most proud of? Oh, man. Um, one, I, I just in general, I think there are some amazing journalistic writers. Like, mm-hmm. I love um, Five Days at... There, there's two, like, literary journalism is some of my favorite shit. Uh, mm-hmm. Those are some of my mm-hmm. favorite books. There's... Five Days at Memorial Hospital, which is about Hurricane Katrina, is just like a TikTok. A journalist like interviewed every single person. I just love that stuff. And I just yeah. started in the band played on about the AIDS epidemic from the 80s. Okay. Um, like I love literary journalism writing. I did some like journalism feature type writing. I did like, mm-hmm. you know, like soft human interest stories occasionally. I did yeah. this one on, all, on uh, Alzheimer's disease that I really mm-hmm. liked. Mm-hmm. Um, in college, I wrote... I reported the story about like a sexual assault allegation that was totally oh. butchered by the office of my university that was supposed to handle sexual assaults. Yeah, and that story banged, and it led to policy <laughs> change. Like, um, I was really proud of that. Hell yes, that's awesome. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. it was. It was really cool. It was really fun. Uh, well, no, I was miserable. Um, it was yeah. very bad for my mental health. But Sounds really hard it was, to write. Yeah, like, it was a really meaningful experience, yeah. and it actually led to like policy changes which is why i loved journalism but there aren't journalism jobs so here i am (laughs) yeah man when i was applying to jobs this summer and landed thank god landed the job that i currently have but um i was like going through and getting the list of references for all of my various work experiences Mm -hmm. zero percent of my former journalism bosses still work in journalism I had like seven different journalism jobs. <laughs> wow, that's just 
That's rough. That says something. Almost all of them went to marketing jobs. <sighs> that's that, that's the job for people with English degrees now. Like, that's where you go. Like, if you're in, you know... Content writing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. If you need work, which, uh, spoilers, you, you do. You do, yeah, <laughs> Yeah, the, that's, that's just where we all go. And you can... Yeah, there is some really meaningful work, and I... It is not, I, I don't have it in me to chase it. <laughs> you know, I just don't have it in me to do it for free or yeah. to chase that kind of job forever. Yeah, which is like just the worst when they start telling you that the reason that you should be doing this job is for your own personal edification. And it's just like, man, fuck. That's not remotely fair to throw to you. Hold me hostage by my dreams, like fuck that. <laughs> yeah, Jesus, like yeah. yeah. Oh man, okay. I've told, I've recommended before the podcast Print Run. It's mm. two literary agents who are best friends who talk shop. Yeah. Um, they like they say too in in the publishing industry, like any industry where, like, it's used against you if you're passionate about your job. Mm-hmm. In, all of these English major type jobs, it is used against you in journalism, in the publishing industry, all of it. Yeah. Yeah. Christ. Well, you know, so good luck to us and everyone else. <laughs> and I uh, hope that it, I, I hope that things can be done to change this, honestly. Like, uh... Uh, anywho. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, Ben, you did writing this week. Yes. Yes, I'm I did. I'm really happy for and you. And I, I am also very happy about it. Like, it is a it is a good thing to have written. It is a good feeling to sit down and return to something and just be able to work for a little while in, in that way. Because like, it's been a minute. It's been over a month since I last sat down to write anything, so I was glad to even eke out a little bit. But And I'm glad that it made me feel that I wanted to do more. So, yeah. Yeah. That's huge. Yeah. Yeah. I do think, like, um, I think it's healthy to take breaks from stuff. I also mm. think it's healthy, like, to listen. If if you cannot make it work, I think it's perfectly mm. healthy to accept that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but I, I have also found recently that doing more writing has led to me wanting to do even more writing. Yeah. Uh, mm, a good feeling. Yeah, exactly. Have you read it? Before we get into the book or what we're going to discuss today, have you read anything that you like recently? Oh, yeah. Um, actually, that's part of what we're discussing this week, is the book okay. that I just finished. Oh, cool. Um, awesome. So I'll hold mine. You tell me yours. <laughs> okay. Well, I'm still on the book last time that we asked this question. I'm, I'm still reading Sea Witch. Um, still on this. Um, just went through about another 70 pages of it. I, I'm close to the end. I, I got like 150 left. Um, but it, it's... Uh, I just want to bring it up again uh, to the anyone listening in to you that this is absolutely worth reading um i realized the last time i was reading it it's the closest reading experience i've ever had to reading something that could be described as being like a living being like the this is so been this has been core just weird (laughs) craft weird weird this is so for you (laughs) it's very much for me And, and and i also think in terms of things like this this is far from unlike some things approach on readability um like i I there's an author that i do like called grant mayerhofer i believe that's how his name is pronounced i'm not 100 sure but he writes stuff that approaches unreadability and like unless you're already there for that i would not recommend reading this 
see which I would recommend to people who have not encountered necessarily experimental literature before, because you can read the sentences and picture something that's going on. You can, like, be, feel like you're I interpreting something and being part of it. Um, but just the there's the the reason that I brought up this like this book feels like a living being thing is because I realized something that on a bunch of the pages that there's these lines that have been drawn across them uh, these pink lines that kind of crisscross through the text mm -hmm. and um, at one point uh, the author she labels one of them as an artery and I realized that it's like actually acting as like physical stitching that holds the book together as like a organic object it is this like visual aspect it's really cool like Yay. yeah <laughs> yeah like it, it's absolutely neat and there's just shit like that you know every page there's something else that's like that it's so it's so worth people's time to go out and read sea witch and what i will say the book itself the physical edition is very expensive it's a 50 dollar book but mm -hmm. what the publisher allows for which is inside the castle um all of their ebooks you can get every an ebook version of every book they've ever made for $15 just $15 oh, flat cool. rate for all of it and all of the proceeds from that are still don't being donated to black lives matter like cool. so if you uh, the physical editions of these books are i think really worth something but if you're unsure i think that's a great entry point to find out if you want to try to get the physical copies of these books cuz they're all perpetually in print he doesn't nothing goes out of print cuz it's all printed on demand anyway so you don't need to worry about stock running low either so yeah cool cool uh, yeah i feel like i heard of a lot of companies that were doing like benefits to various black lives matter groups mm -hmm. in 2020 during yeah specifically during various protests yeah. and not very many are still doing it so yeah. yeah shout out to inside the castle yeah yeah they they keep it real john trafery uh the founder and uh head editor over there excellent guy really cool guy I, i've interacted with him on twitter like twice and he's been very friendly to me so i i, yeah. I like him a lot yeah that is the kind of thing that makes twitter worthwhile it's like Oh, that's a that's like a niche celebrity that I really admire. <laughs> exactly. It's like I understand that he just thinks he's just like regular dude, but to me it's like, oh my word. <laughs> <laughs> that's so cute. I love that. Uh, well, I finished a book this week. Yes. Um have you heard of A Quake A Maisie? Uh no. No, I have not. Okay, I wanna send you to there, by the way, they then pronouns. Okay. Um, I want to send you to a Quake and Maisie's website. I finished this book and I was like, I have to like know a little bit more about this writer because I really, really like it. The re resolution like absolutely worked for me. It was really great. Um, and then I started like I looked up this writer and I was reading their bio and I was like, this motherfucker has five books coming out in two years. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> this is in just is just hard to wrap my head around and then as i was reading this biography i was like all five of these books are from a different publisher mm -hmm. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what like two of their books have already been auctioned as tv series um wow yeah quake and maze write this down folks look look them up i hope yeah. i i like looked up to listen to them pronounce their own name so that I would get it close to right. Um, mm -hmm. I hope that I am, I'm doing my very best. I, I practiced. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, so, Okwege is a Nigerian genderqueer writer. Mm -hmm. um, this book, The Death of Vivek Oji, um, mm -hmm. opens 
I want to just send you, Ben, I'm going to just send you the cop, the first line of this book. It's actually the entire first chapter. Okay. They burned down the market on the day Vivek Oji died. That's the whole first sentence. It's the whole first chapter. That's, oh, okay. So then that just kind of hangs there in, in white space. You know, yes. like, you know, like a massive, like a gravity well, essentially. Okay, yeah, like, yeah. This book reminded me of um, The Virgin Suicides and A Hundred Years of Solitude. Okay. Those are the other two novels that I know that open with Flash Forward. Mm, mm-hmm. So how this mm-hmm. book works, it opens with, they burn down the market on the day that Vivek Goji died. And then mm-hmm. they go back and it's um, like Vivek's parents meeting Vivek's childhood, mm-hmm. Vivek's teenage years, mm-hmm. and finally the book like concludes with revealing like how Vivek how Koji died. died. Yeah, yeah, um, it's so good. I love. Um, so tell me. So the main marquee topic today is flash forward. Okay. And um, I this Vivek the death of Vivek Oji got me started thinking about flash forward because it opens with flash forward. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're going to compare this to that short story I had you read this week. Yes. Which mixes in flash forward throughout. Yeah. Um, yeah. Ben, have you read, I know you haven't read this book, The Death yes. of Vivek Oji. Have you read A Hundred Years of Solitude or yes. The Virgin Suicides? Uh, I've read A Hundred Years of Solitude. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Um, so I think that flash forward is used almost identically in The Death of Vivek Oji, A Hundred Years of Solitude, and The Virgin Suicides. It okay. just opens with character dies. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. let's go back <laughs> you <Okay>. know <laughs> character will die like yeah 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 okay um yeah so ben what did you think of flash forward in 100 years of solitude in how it opens with Curl, colonel Aureliano oh, yeah. Here, I, i'm going to very quickly look that up just because it's been a few years since i've read this book Many years later, as he faced the firing squad, Colonel Arleano Buendia was to remember that distant afternoon when his father took him to discover ice. Yeah. Like, well, I mean, I think that moment for sure, like, and just the way that A Hundred Years of Solitude is structured as this giant multi-generational chronicle, um, it, it is probably, you know, one of those, like, classically ground in as one of the best, like, structures that a novel has ever had. Like, I feel like mm-hmm. you're gonna see that on a lot of lists. Like, I, and I think it's excellently done. Like, I, I, I think that that is one of those, you know, be- beautiful things where it is just, like, it, it's... One of my things things that I really like about doing stuff like that, especially in novels, if I can go off on that for a second, um, yeah. is to is that I think that that a, a playfully like acknowledges a novel's finitude in, in su- and the way that novels are fated like because they are just like finite objects um like I I think that doing stuff like that it, it works really well with the form of the novel like, like if you are doing a novel you you know it's it the fact that it has an ending is like known to the reader before they know anything else about the book essentially because they know oh this has a beginning middle and end because that's how stories work so that active acknowledgement and that play with that expectation by telling them the ending essentially at the very beginning and then you know it, it's not this moment that's going to be the most important you know this moment's coming it's going to be how we get there through the rest of it that's going to be you know like that's the actual thing that matters which is true of i think pretty much all books yeah yeah exactly it takes the emphasis away uh, from the plot it changes the dramatic question so yeah. the question is no longer what is going to happen the question is 
why does that happen? Which I think is a much more engaging question for me as a reader, at least. Garcia Marquez does it in a way that makes 100 Years of Solitude intergenerational. Um, can I give a quick aside on Garcia Marquez? Anything you want. Hell yeah, I love Gabriel Garcia Marquez. Did you know um, that Garcia Marquez credits Virginia Woolf for the reason he plays with time like that? Interesting. Interesting. Yes. So like um, Louis Borges, Jorge Louis Mm -hmm. Borges uh, translated Orlando into Spanish in 1937. And then like various other um, Virginia Woolf's books, or the Orlando yeah. translation was apparently re- relatively popular at the time. Okay. Um, and before Orlando by Virginia Woolf was translated into Spanish, like uh, the local like literary critic, um, some guy, I, I wrote a research paper on this, is why I have this, uh, <laughs> Amir, uh, a literary critic named Amir Rodriguez Monigal um, said that like m- m- since like the 1700s, most Latin American Spanish language literature was really realist mm-hmm. and Orlando like kind of changed the game. Um, mm-hmm. And Garcia Marquez said in an interview in 1950 that he would be a different author today uh, if I had not read a certain sentence from Mrs. Dalloway by Virginia Woolf. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and he credits like how he messes with time and Macondo in 100 Years of Solitude to that sentence in Mrs. Dalloway. Oh, that's so cool. That's that's great also because uh, definitely uh, spoilers for a future episode of this. I definitely want to talk about Mrs. Dalloway at some point on this because that book fucking rules. <laughs> I actually haven't read it and I yeah. need to. And give me like a few weeks warning because I want to before that episode. Yeah, if you want to do the whole thing, yeah, we can for sure. Yeah. Like, yeah. Cool. That's, it, it's dope. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So Gar- Garcia Marquez does it like most famously with Colonel Aureliano Buendia and the firing squad remembering the time he went to see ice and then it says like it mentions him being in front of the firing squad but then it just goes back and talks about ice and baconda you know it it like is like we'll come back to this in like 200 pages you know Um, exactly yeah it um and then the other famous use of the same kind of flash forward that i think the death of vivek oji does Mm -hmm. um is in the virgin suicides have you read the virgin suicides no i have not I liked it. Um, this is the first <laughs> sentence. <laughs> I haven't read the whole thing for like 10 years, but I loved it at the time. Okay. okay. Um, would you be willing to read this first? Like, I'll give you a second, and then will you read this on the air for us? On the morning, the last Lisbon daughter took her turn at suicide. It was Mary this time, and sleeping pills, like Therese. The two paramedics arrived at the house knowing exactly where the knife drawer was and the gas oven and the beam in the basement from which it was possible to tie a rope. And then the rest of the paragraph is like, they get out of the EMS truck slowly, like, this ain't TV, folks. This is how fast we go, carrying a respirator and stuff. Um, Yeah, so the Virgin Suicide's really, really similar tool. Like, let's flash forward, a character dies. Um, Some interesting color about that. Yeah. Let's go back, though, and show why, why that happens. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Yeah, I think all three of these novels just use flash forward in a really similar way that's really effective. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that the short story I found is like an alternative way to use flash forward mm-hmm. that um, has a really different purpose, but mm-hmm. mechanically works kind of similarly. Mm-hmm. Um, 
So these three novels we've been talking about, the first sentence in them is the flash forward. And then it, it might spend 200 pages, like, getting back to, yeah. to when that flash forward is present. This short story we're going to talk about um, starts in the present, the now of the story. These two yeah. teenage girls mostly stays in the now of the story, but has a few breaks where it flashes forward to her as the central the protagonist reflecting as an adult yeah. on why this moment is so important in her life. Yeah. Cool. So this is a short story I found in the Master's Review. Um, speaking of submitting to literary magazines, I was just researching stories that had won various master's review contests. Mm-hmm. Um, the master's review is a, a literary magazine. I really like it. They spe- specifically have a lot of contests for like emerging writers. Mm-hmm. Um, and this short story won the January, 2020 was announced in January, 2020. It won the previous summer short story mm-hmm. award. Mm-hmm. Um, it is called ghost story. It's by a writer named Becca Anderson. Um, I don't think Becca has any books out. This is the only thing written by Becca Anderson that I've been able to find online. Um, yeah. And I will link link it in the show notes. So if anyone wants to, I don't know if people actually do this, but if people do actually do this, now's your chance to pause it and go read the short story. Mm-hmm. And it's worth reading. Definitely go check that out. Yeah, it's cool. Yeah, cool. So before I talk about like flash forward in this, Ben, what do you think of the short story? Uh, I liked it. I, I I liked it a lot. Um, the there was. I I was a, the thing that I'll lead with is, is that I I don't one hundred percent understand the use of second person if you're going to give the second person a concrete character like that that might just be me when I'm reading things but like may, maybe there's a better reason for that that we can come to through this like. Um, because the entire story is in second person, it's constantly referring to as you, but this you in question isn't you, the reader. It isn't you. It's a character who's named in the story, like who is essentially the narrator in large part. Like Yeah, yeah let's let's have a detour on second person for a bit, actually, yeah. if that's okay. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, so I think second person sometimes works like this. Like this is definitely yeah. something I've seen frequently. I think, honestly, mm-hmm. I personally only like second person you if that you is still a really defined person mm-hmm, um mm-hmm. i don't think there's necessarily i mean i can make up one i think that the story could have worked in the third person or the first person equally mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um if you want to hear my theory my theory about why i think becca anderson went with you here um mm-hmm. this in my interpretation is in part a story about being closeted mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. i think you is a way for like an adult to kind of like psychologically confront what happened. Like I think you is a way to like in your own head. um, I definitely think of this as the protagonist talking to herself. Um, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And you is a way for her to like own, like confront what happened, but make it feel like, you know, make it feel like a story rather than like too, um, I don't know, too vulnerable of a memory. A okay. little extra yeah. distance in my head, in my mind. Yeah, yeah, uh, I, that that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. Like, yeah, but yeah, l- l- let's go in on this a little bit further. Um, just on, if you want to keep on second person as well. Like, yeah, um, just just thinking about the 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 other thing that I think that it does for um her a lot, uh, it lets her deliver those like emotional gut punch sen- sentences. 
when, when you can put a U on those, like that, that's mm-hmm. always going to hook the reader in tighter. Like on those, whether even though the U in this scenario is, like we said, I, I think that the U is both the narrator and, like you said, talking to herself. I think that's a, a fair interpretation. Tell um, me which sentence yeah. you're thinking of when you say those gut punch sentences. Um, they they occur conveniently in the flash forwards because I think those are the biggest yeah. gut, uh, gut gut punch those moments. Are like, so yeah, good. Like, yeah, the, the 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 and I can see why you wanted to bring this story in for those moments, especially because the like like I said, the whole story is good. I think it's well told. Um, but those are the parts that really stood out. Um, I'm I'm looking for the one when she's talking about when she gets married in the future, like when when you get married. That that's the one that um I remember. Yeah, you could, Hang on, I copied yeah. and pasted a lot of them. Yeah. This is the same boy boyfriend who you will marry one day. Yeah. There it is. Okay. Uh, uh who when you tell it, it, it's lines like this one. Who when you tell him about having too many drinks one night and kissing someone else will smile when he says it's fine. It's fine. Girls don't count. Like that—that that is one of those, like I think, one of those gut punch sentences that also, like, really do, relates to the theming that you're talking about as well of this being a story about being closeted. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but but the day you can't you find the bridge. Cla- to be clear, this is I th- I think she's by closeted by. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That that's how it feels. Also, like I, I think it's more about being not not be not being str- not being gay and stuck in a straight relationship but being um in a straight relationship and okay with that but never having explored this aspect of herself and feeling and like grieving and feeling lost for that like yeah and like for having never yeah, taken which advantage of I that. think yeah. is yeah and I just think that's a really rich subject subject matter I think it's mm-hmm. a really interesting topic and um I think, histo- you know, I'm speaking as a lesbian here, but I think historically this is more common than, like, we've mm-hmm. heard stories about. Like, I think there yeah. are a lot of bi people who just never got to explore it. And, um, mm-hmm. yeah, I think this story's subject matter is really great. But that sentence that you pointed out, um, you think it's more effective using you instead of if, if it had been I or mm-hmm. she? Yeah. Yeah, because it it ties up the reader so intrinsically in the emotional impact of the moment, like rather Mm. than it being the narrator talking about themselves, the the reader is implicated by you, like whether or not it is directed towards them. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it's such a really good moment. Like, Mm -hmm. who, when you tell him about having too many drinks one night and kissing someone else, will smile when he says that it's fine. It's fine. Girls don't count. Like. Mm she like worked herself up into confessing this hard thing and then he like dismissed it and also offended her you know like that's really interesting yeah like doesn't even exist for him like it's not even like worthy of like emotional turmoil in his eyes like he can't even understand it like yeah it it, that that part has a really big impact for sure like Yeah. yeah and i also think it's more poignant because he like in other places seems like a good dude you know yeah. seems like a good boyfriend yeah um, it's like it seems like they do genuinely like he genuinely cares about her and you can get that and she cares about him but there's this un and untied thread this loose end still yeah like, and, yeah i th- yeah. it's it's real good i agree i do think that that is i think using you in those kind of circumstances does make the reader force the reader to sympathize and picture empathize and picture themselves even more. So mm-hmm. I think it can be overdone. I don't think it's overdone in the short story. Yeah. Agreed. Agreed. Uh, yeah. Cool. Yeah. It's just really good. 
Um, any other general thoughts on the short story before I go back into my flash forward tirade? Um, I think we should go on the flash forwards because the like like I said, I think those are probably the most interesting things. That that's like the thing that makes this story really unique. Like, yeah. yeah. Not not to discredit its other aspects, but yeah. Yeah. Okay. So uh, let me do a plot summary. Um, mm-hmm. The protagonist of the story, who is referred to as you, so if we say you, that's we're talking mm-hmm. about a specific character, not like mm-hmm. you, Timothy, living in wherever you live. You know, as you yeah. listen to this podcast. Yeah. Um, so the... I, I think her name is Mia? Mia, yeah, yes, thank yeah, you. Okay, uh, yeah. I should have known. Um, so you, Mia, and your, um, best friend Riley, your teenage girls, you're bored, you decide to go drive around, um, Riley's always, like, forcing you to go on these crazy adventures, Riley says that she's heard about a ghost, like, at a nearby bridge, um, Riley drives you out there, uh, obviously there's no ghost, um... You and Riley have a first kiss. Um, Riley, like, even as a teenage girl, is saying, like, no, I've seen how you look at me. Like, you like me, and I like you, and um, Mia, you are, won't own up to it, even though, like, obviously the description indicates you totally like Riley. Um, <laughs> and, and then you never, never talk to Riley again. You were best friends beforehand. Like, in one of the flash forwards, Riley tries to call you when her brother's been in a car accident. And you ignore her call and never talk to her. And then in another flash forward, um, you and your boyfriend go on a drive and you're trying to find this, the, 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 the place, the, the bridge with the ghost. And you can't find the bridge and you get like really upset about it. And then in the last, nope, second, there's four flash forwards I noticed. Um, in another flash forward, you're like you as an adult can't reflect and remember if Riley initiated the kiss. You think you probably did. Um, and then in the final flash forward, as in it later, you won't remember exactly like who, how it was phrased, like this won't happen again, or this isn't going to happen again. Um, and yeah, you leave your friendship with, with Riley in a big dramatic fight. Mm. Plot summary concluded. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so what's what's unique about this short story, and I think an exercise that people should absolutely steal because it's really effective, um, is the flash forwards are mixed in throughout. In the novels that we've talked about, it's the flash forward, like, is the first sentence, it sets up the murder mystery, and, and then um, we, like, earn our way back to the flash forward. Here it's, like, mixed in throughout an adult reflecting on the teenage escapade. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think the flash forwards, like they really show the emotional impact of the story. They show, yeah. the flash forwards here are used as the way to say, why does this story matter? Mm-hmm. And I just think it's really effective. Yeah, yeah, they, they become the thematic glue. Like that's where, the, that's where they're all like, uh, in the flash forwards I think is where you find like the key sentences that like the reader is supposed to pick up on and which they, which they use to like interpret the story like that that is where that information is is in those moments where we're taken out of the plot line as it's existing and we're seeing the impact of the plot line like yeah that that that's where it all lives yeah like yeah, yeah it's and super effective yeah craft wise um i think it's the flesh words are mixed in really smoothly like it's not mm-hmm. like 30 years later you will say to yourself right it's mm-hmm. um here it's it's not like setting really setting them apart visually at all um there is like 
The bridge is the kind of old where it creaks and groans even though the air is still. A decade later, you'll try to go see it again. So there are like those markers so that you don't get lost as the reader you know. She's reflecting now a decade later. Mm-hmm. But it's that a decade later line is like in the middle of the paragraph. It's not mm-hmm. like really drawing too much attention to itself as being a flash forward. Yeah, it's the stream of consciousness like, it is very much at play there. It is, you know, the the object and then the associations with the object are what create the flash forward, not just the, like, needs of the pl- uh, of the writing. Yeah, like, it, it's... It, and that kind of brings us back to what you said about setting when we were talking about setting and the way that that can get utilized as well, like, because that's kind of what's prompting that moment specifically with the, um, with the bridge. Yeah. Like, we love setting in this podcast. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> this podcast is a pro-setting podcast. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So... So what do you think, uh, do, before I ask a question, is there a thing, do you want to keep going on part of this? Is there a, something that you want to share? Or do, it's really um, good and I like it. I'm ready for your yes. question. <laughs> okay. Um, so when we're talking about like what, you know, as a technique to steal, like a, as a thing to steal, um, in terms of what Flash Forward does for this piece, um, I guess what are you trying to direct that we should be like taking this aspect of this to? Um, yeah in the flash forwards themselves yeah and how they yeah um great question um so i think i think you as a writer should always be able to write the flash forward sections and that they're not always necessary to put into the story Mm -hmm. i think if there is enough within the now of the story if there had been enough just within this short conflict like Mm -hmm. to stand on its own by all means let it stand on its own Mm -hmm. this is a story that's particularly really benefits from a flash forward Mm -hmm. because like being closeted as a teenager is not something that you process fully at the time Mm -hmm. right it's not something that like it's something that you kind of need to be able to reflect on as an adult in order Mm -hmm. to really understand what happened and to like own up to all the feelings you were having at the time even. Mm-hmm. Um, so for certain stories where it's like, where the tool is helpful, I think like writing of, like if, if your story isn't quite clicking just in the now, mm-hmm. take some time aside, write, okay, 10 years later, how does she feel differently about this, mm-hmm. right? And then in this particular case, like mixing in some of those moments elevated the story so much (laughs) it was so effective so i think it's just a tool like to add to your drafting process right if the now Mm -hmm. of the story doesn't feel like it's meaningful enough Mm -hmm. how would the character having a little bit more adult of a uh, understanding like make the now more meaningful could you show the impact differently yeah that that's great. That's a really great way to put that because that also lets you as the writer come to understand like what is the change that this is supposed to inspire. Let, let me show mm-hmm. that change at that later point. Like, like just no, like after things have changed it and that's uh, that's really smart. That's really good because that that will allow you to then return to that now and whether or not you choose to bring in that flash forward necessarily, you then have the knowledge that it gains you of like what 
what is transpiring in the background what's happening in the character's subconscious right now and then how do i bring that to bear now like what, yeah what i realize later yeah and without the flash forwards like the story does have an arc she does mm-hmm. have that moment and opportunity for change where she chooses to shut down and mm-hmm. not be friends with riley anymore and to pretend like she's not attracted to riley yeah. um there is pl- like a perfectly satisfying beginning middle and end to the story without the flash forwards mm-hmm. but we don't really understand the consequences of the actions without the flash forwards yeah. so i think consequences is is what they're really contributing here yeah 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 absolutely because it yeah that's perfect I, I i don't have anything to add to that because i <laughs> said that perfectly yeah like and, yeah. yeah so writing exercises um hey man if you're partway through a short story right now and it's like you know it seems coherent but it just doesn't seem very impactful mm-hmm. would this be more like what if this was something this character was still thinking about 10 years later yeah what would the character 10 years later have to say about it how does this impact how they live their day-to-day life now? Yeah. Yeah, because uh, that, that solves an issue, I think, that we, we face as writers uh, sometimes when we are forced to um, deal in the self-contained confines of the story um, because it, it does not allow us to look past its own ending, usually. And, and mm-hmm. this does allow you to look past the ending, and then you can, you know... You don't need to try to force in an immediate change, but you can then reflect on what the more natural style of change that we as people experience. Like, characters don't get to have that kind of change because they're yeah. words on a page, but then, it, so it's harder to think of that, but then allowing yourself the space to understand what that will be like later and then bring that that future effect and kind of weaving it into the present of the story is, is a really good way to do that. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah. That said... If every short story did flash forward, I'm sure I'd be fucking sick of it. I think this one, much like the second person, I think the subject matter is just really well suited to second person Mm -hmm. and to flash forward. Um, Yeah. So I'm not saying do it for every story. I think you'd be definitely called out for not having enough tools in your toolbox if you did it for every story. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, if, if you're having trouble figuring out what the real impact of what you've drafted your idea so far, what the consequences are. Give it a shot. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I also like it as just a potential thing to do that is not e- not even intended to be in the story itself. Like, just using it as, like, technique for understanding even. Like, if you want... Because, like you said, you don't want to put it in every story. Like, there there would be times and places for it. Yeah. But you can utilize yeah. it even if you don't want to put it in. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Awesome. Oh, I should bring this back to the death of Vivek Oji in yes. 100 Years of Solitude. Um, I don't think that... I think it would be really challenging to use the death of Vivek, that, that style that those novels have where you have flash forward and then you earn your way back to the flash forward. That is phenomenal for a novel. I don't know. I've never seen it done successfully in a short story because it's something that like naturally feels like it pays off better if you spend more time earning your way back to that to that flash forward. Um, so I think Becca Anderson's uh, craft here in Ghost Story is, you know, a short story way to play with flash forward, um, mm-hmm. integrating it in throughout rather than doing it at the beginning and making it more, you know, mystery structured. I think mm-hmm. if you only had a 2,000 word short story, like earning your way back to the first sentence would would 
be a little too easy. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, well, you you probably should. Um, that's, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. And also, it's it just shows the difference, like, because Becca Anderson is definitely putting, you know, it's flash forward as a character technique versus flash forward as a plot technique, which mm-hmm. we get in these other ones. Yeah. I'm like. Oh, Ben, yeah. that's, that's so true. I'm glad you said that. I don't think I had fully realized that. Yeah, it's. What she's doing here is using flash forward to to develop that Mia main character more. Mm-hmm. What those novels do is use flash forward to for plot purposes, yeah. Mm-hmm. Huh. Yeah. Damn, I'm glad we do this podcast. Yeah, it's good. It's a double insight <laughs> hour every time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, man. Well, uh, Master's Review, great selection. Really enjoyed this. Um mm-hmm. Yeah, guys, uh, if you're if you're trying to submit to literary magazines, um, read some of the archive from that literary magazine. Um, that's how I stumbled upon this, and I really liked it. All right, so a thing that is not reading or writing, do you have anything that's been uh, making oh, you happy for the past week that you want to wreck? Oh, I should have prepped this. You go first. You go first. What's something? Okay. What's a recommendation? Something that you've done this past week that's brought you joy? I recommend Icy Hot Tiger Balm <laughs> for your aching joints. Are you joints good, man? We're in our late twenties. I, I, I run. I, I, I like to run. God. So like sometimes I deal with a little bit of knee pain afterwards, a little bit of ankle pain. That's what's been giving me trouble trouble re- lately. And as someone who is in his late twenties, if there are other people in their late twenties that are experiencing these things from working out, I of course recommend stretching and ice the standards. But beyond that, you know, a little bit of tiger balm on your ankles. It, it smells amazing. Like, you know, kind of mentholated. Here, I, I'm going to open this up and try to catch a waft for the pod. Um, Live react. Mm, mm. It, it's just nice and minty. It, it smells <laughs> like pain relief. It's so good. Uh, so, yeah, I definitely recommend Tiger Balm. That's the fun one. And Icy Hot is a classic. It smells like a candy from my childhood that I cannot place the name of. It's, it drives me insane. But, um, yeah, absolutely recommend both of these for your aching joints. Anky breaky joints. Yeah, I I used to run. I got, I got deeply anky joint, achy joints when I was like twenty one, and so I stopped running because it was too bad for my knees. So I apologize (laughs) for, for mocking the running lifestyle. Um, (laughs) Shit, I really didn't prep anything. Um, I love my rock climbing gym. If anyone lives in the Denver area, I can bring a guest if it's your first time there. Um, and I like rock climbing because I was, I'd basically only been weightlifting for like four or five years um, and doing zero cardio ever. <laughs> and rock climbing tricked me into doing cardio again. So I'm having a great time. Big rack, nice. big rack. I rec- specifically, um, there was recently a route at my gym. It was titled Fragrance by Kanye, and you had to kind of like push yourself up backwards. So I'm going to recommend, if any, if I'm going to recommend uh, the Fragrance by Kanye route. It was a green <laughs> hold in a corner. Awesome. Hell yeah. Oh, oh man. man. All right. Thank you, Emily. All right. Well, yeah, this was the Good Writing Podcast. We had a bit that we never expanded on um, where I said, like, mm. we should introduce the name of the podcast differently every episode. Um, mm. So. This was the uh, this was the nice words podcast 
And uh, if you want to get in touch with us, uh, send us an email at goodwritingpodcast at gmail.com. If you want to send us an audio recording, we might play it on the air, maybe. Mm -hmm. Uh, Ben, you got anything to say? Um, Yeah. Uh, Alternatively, nicewordspod at yahoo.net is also our email address now. No, it's not. Um, But um, uh, yes, email us. Um, We, you know, these episodes are going to actually start coming out now. So hopefully people will do that. Um, Yeah, you're actually listening to us today. It's November. It's like mid-November when we're recording this. We we, we pre-recorded a number of episodes. So Dear Void, I hope you liked our Dear the Future. Um, Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. (laughs) I hope you liked this episode. (laughs) I hope that you're digging it real hard. Good news, we recently got a Twitter account. So you can follow us on Twitter at GoodWritingPod. That's GoodWritingPod on Twitter. Not podcast because you couldn't fit that many characters into a username. All right. Thanks, everybody. (laughs) All right. Bye, (laughs) y'all.